Well, good morning. My name is Rod Hutton. I'm one of your service pastors here with Faith Church Norton. I'm just so excited to be here. The last time I was here preaching, I started my sermon by taking you to an iconic event in Philadelphia. Well, I'm sorry, no more pictures of Rocky today, but I do want to tell you about an event that was maybe a little less iconic. So my family and I, we took a vacation to Philly here a couple of weeks ago. And so day one of the vacation, well, I made a bit of an error. I literally pulled off the freeway, parked in the first parking lot that I could find and found that we were over a mile and a half away from Independence Hall. And so we had to go hiking through downtown pretty quickly to be able to get to our ticket time. Well, so day two, now day two, it actually seemed like it was going to be a little bit rainy. So I did my research and said, we're going to find a place to park a little bit closer. So we did that. So we drove down, got to the right uh, exit, pulled off at the right exit, came on through, but oh, I didn't understand all the lanes, one ways, here we go, I didn't get in the right lane to turn into the parking ramp we were looking to, and so moved around. That's okay, we're just going to go on around, we'll come back around the other side, then we ran into one ways. Of course, that then forces you back onto the freeway, which puts you on a bridge across a river into New Jersey, so that's not where we wanted to be, right? So we turn around, we're across the river in Jersey, we turn around, we come back Guess what? Now we've got to pay the toll to come back across the bridge. We get to the exit, turn on the right exit. Now, what am I focused on? I'm focused on all the right lanes. We're going to make this turn. I'm looking at it. We're pulling through. I know I'm in the right lane I need to be in. And, of course, as I'm coming through, I look up, and what do I see? That's a red light. And I'm already well through this intersection. Look around. We're safe. Let's just continue going on through and then look in the rearview mirror and... Here he comes, pulling right in behind me. I know, I know lights on yet, so I continued around. Then he signaled me, okay, pull over, safe, we'll go over there. Okay, do you know what happened? Yes, sir. And I explained exactly what we talked about here. And he says, okay, license and registration. I gave him all those things, and then we sat in the car. And we waited. And we waited. And after about five minutes, he came back. And unexpectedly, sir... I'm just going to give you a warning. Mercy. Now, that mercy included another trip back across the bridge, back through the toll to try this all a third time. But when it's all said and done. But I I share that story with you, one, just to show that mercy. That's where we're going to dig into God's Word today. What does that look like? But no, we're not going to study God's Word to see what are the best practices to get out of traffic tickets We're going to look at what God really says about mercy. You see, this summer we've been in a series called Hope for Everyday Life and Hope for Fruitful Service. And the first half of the series focused on growing in fruitful character traits that we discussed as we went through 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now, as we continue, we're going to pivot to a similar passage, helping us to uh, take a look at the spiritual gifts. Well, one of the primary reasons we can have hope for fruitful service is because of the incredibly encouraging truth that God has given each one of us at least one spiritual gift to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. Peter said it this way in his first letter, as each one of us has received a special gift employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
And so last week, we introduced this part of the series to help unpack the truths from Romans 12, 6 through 8. We answered questions like, what is a spiritual gift? Who receives spiritual gifts? And a number of other questions as well. Well, for today's study, we're going to begin by finding hope in showing mercy. Now, we can't step into God's Word thinking that the definition of mercy equals getting out of traffic tickets. So maybe, just maybe, we should look a little bit deeper. And as we come to know God, as we learn about Him, we come to see the attributes of the holy God in whom we come to praise together. So help me out a little bit. I and mean, I want to hear from all of you right now. What are some of those attributes of God? Go ahead and just shout them out. Love? Good? Kindness? Holy? Just? Patience, eternal, all-powerful, unchanging, all attributes that are good and perfect. But when we consider God, we can see that there are attributes that we discuss that specifically set God apart from His creation. We call these the incommunicable attributes of God, His eternal nature, His immutability, His unchanging nature, His omnipresence. God is capable of being everywhere. He is everywhere. God's perfections make Him unique because of those attributes that Bible writes. We cannot truly reflect. But then there are also the attributes of God that He shares with us in being a a created being in His image. We call these the communicable attributes of God. God's perfect in his knowledge. We can grow in our knowledge. Somebody mentioned kindness. God is perfect in his kindness. We're created to reflect that kindness. But today we're going to talk about mercy. What about mercy? Well, mercy is one of the beautiful attributes of God that he uses to describe himself. In Exodus 34, when the Lord met with Moses on Mount Sinai, God announced his presence, saying, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding and loving kindness and truth. As God revealed himself to Moses, he wanted him to know about his mercy. And this carries forward into how the Apostle Paul even describes God in Ephesians when explaining the simplicity of salvation. When he remember, when he reminds us that, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, in all of God's perfections, for the creator of the universe, for the sovereign over all of creation, think about it. Mercy is the only attribute where God actually describes himself as rich. And praise the Lord that in his richness, this is a gift that he has chosen to share. And so when we look at all of the ways that God shows himself to be merciful, we can find a definition that will help us to see mercy to be far more than just finding our way out of a traffic ticket. No, not only is mercy a perfection of God that we can reflect, But mercy is also one of the spiritual gifts that he promises to believers. Let's look back again at the passage from last week in Romans 12. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us, 
Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. That's a key phrase in this passage, by the way. We are supposed to use them. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, if he, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, there are a lot of things that come together in considering mercy. For example, we also have to consider that God is perfect. Somebody said it, in his justice. He's perfect in justice. And for my sin, I deserve a heck of a lot more than a ticket because the wages of sin is death. But God being rich in mercy made a way for my penalty to be paid through the death of his son. I deserve his wrath. But in his mercy, his son took the father's wrath in my place. And for each of us who have chosen to place our faith and believe in Jesus Christ, well, that's one story of mercy that each of us is a part of. Now, when Paul teaches about spiritual gifts, we also have to consider there is a foundational assumption that the person receiving the gift has been saved by grace through faith and not of any works of their own. Our salvation is a work of God. And as a part of our salvation, our good God gives us gifts on our new birthday, spiritual gifts, gifts to be used in the kingdom. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, well, that's not me, or I'm not sure, if you have questions about what it means to be saved, or you simply have questions about God, well, today's a day to stop, talk to one of our pastors. Let's talk about those questions and dig in, because God's greatest desire would be to extend his mercy to you as well. And if that is the case, well, I'm glad you're here. This is where God wants you to be today because this message is for you as well. I want you to listen to the beauty of God's demonstration of mercy and consider. Consider simply, if it's true, what's holding me back from receiving this gift from him? Now again, going back to last week, we know that all who believe in Christ receive at least one spiritual gift. Gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each one of us with a command that we are to exercise it, to use that gift accordingly. And these are not gifts that we're called to just set up on a shelf somewhere and adore them. These are gifts that are intended to be in your toolbox. They're supposed to be in your purse. They're supposed to be in your backpack so that we can use them for the glory of the giver. So let's get back to this definition so we understand. What is God saying about mercy? In the Gospels and in Paul's letter, we find mercy to be described as God's kindness and compassion on others in need. This is why Tim Keller in his commentary on, Rom on Romans defines mercy this way. This is a gift of people specifically moved to work with the poor, the sick, the weak, the prisoner, the addicted, the elderly, and so on. Now you might look at that definition, you might listen to that and go, well, that's not me. I'm not gifted like that. But when it comes to mercy, I believe Scripture is teaching that we are all given a measure of the gift of mercy because we've all received mercy. Some of us receive a big gift of mercy. Some of us receive a smaller gift of mercy. But none of us can say, I can't show mercy. 
Even if you were to take the position that God gives different gifts, and this is just one of the gifts God did not give to me, well, then we'd just step right next door and explore God's teaching about loving your neighbor. So no turning out, if that's what you're thinking. And remember, God is the one who perfectly chose each gift to be given to each specific person. So we shouldn't say, well, God, can I have a different gift? Or maybe, God, you just let me use my gifts in the way that I want to use them? Because part of the joy in using our gifts comes when we know that each gift was uniquely selected for each one of us. Now, to think through the ways in which we can exercise the gifts given, and specifically today to look at the gift of mercy, we're going to turn as well to a known parable that Jesus taught to help us to see one way that we can find hope through showing mercy. So if you will, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to go to chapter 10, starting at verse 25. If you're using the Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you, you're going to find that on page 55 in the back section of the Bible, page 55 in the New Testament. And if you will, read along with me, starting with verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And so the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. They stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, and when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And so Jesus said to him, Go. Do the same. As we unpack this teaching together, for many of us, this parable is one that we've heard many times. And there are certain details that may jump out, certain questions that come to our minds we want to ask. But like the lawyer, sometimes the questions we're asking or seeking are not the truths that God's Word wants us to take away. For example, when I read this, I read about the priest and the Levite, and I want to understand why did they see and still pass by. I want to be able to disassociate with myself with them because they did such a horrible thing. And as such, I try to assess the motives of the priest so that I can say, well, I would never do that, right? But the truth of the passage is that Those are not the details that Jesus wants us to take away from this parable. 
How do I know that? Because he didn't share those details with us. So instead of trying to explain why the priest and the Levite did nothing, I want us to focus on the Samaritan. And as such, we'll find three aspects demonstrated when we use the gift of mercy. Now, the first aspect that we can take from the teaching of this parable is that mercy is a gift to be shared with every neighbor. See how it says, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, more specifically, in the Greek, it says, a certain man. Now, this is a common way in which Luke begins a parable from Jesus. Why? Because this man is very minimally described other than the circumstance, and then what happens? Likely because we don't need to get caught up on more detail of who this is, because that might just distract us from the truth that God really wants us to take away from the parable. This certain man is the victim of robbers, an everyday reality of the brutality of the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. There's nothing special about him that singled him out to the robbers. There's nothing special about him that drew him to the Samaritan. He is quite literally the example of every neighbor. Anyone could be put into the role of this certain man. This also then goes on to the understanding of why the third man on the road is described as a Samaritan. The first two men, a priest and a Levite, Again, we can't know their reasoning for passing by. There could be multiple explanations, but we're not not given any clue as to which of those is true. They're simply a priest and a Levite. The original hearers, the lawyer and even Jesus' disciples, would have considered these to to be men of good moral value. And he shows that they saw the man, they passed by on the other side of the road. Yet the idea that the Samaritan responds and cares for this certain man would have been scandalous, even offensive to some of the listeners. So why would Jesus choose to use a Samaritan, not a Jew? Because he wants us to see the fullness of the expectation of how we are to use a gift of mercy and to see how the gift of mercy is tied directly to the greatest commandments. Because every act of mercy is an act of love. When the lawyer tried to test Jesus, he replied, Jesus replied to him, pointing the lawyer back to the law, where the lawyer then references our calls in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus, where he said, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. But from this reply and the lawyer's other questions about who is his neighbor, Jesus pivoted from the original question to a demonstration of mercy. Why? Because mercy was at the very core of Jesus' ministry and teaching. And we can see that Jesus' own demonstrations of care and compassion for the sick and the lame and the blind were at the heart of his loving others through mercy. Consider how people called out to him. Look at in Matthew 9. Two blind men followed him crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Or even a Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. When those in great need saw Jesus, this was their plea. Lord, have mercy on me. 
Therefore, as we seek to truly love the Lord, we should consider the needs around us where we can show an act of love as a demonstration of mercy in order that we might be more like Christ. And if we consider also that Christ taught in the Sermon on the Mount, for what if you love those who love you? What reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, not only do we need to view mercy as an act of love, we need to choose. We need to choose to share mercy without boundaries. Again, this parable is not intended to be the primary example on how to show mercy, but more so to understand with whom we are called to show mercy. Jesus answers the lawyer's question of, who is my neighbor, in two ways. As I said earlier, it starts with a certain man. In other words, Jesus did not put a boundary on who we should consider our neighbors. I I just live up the hill a few blocks from here in Jesco Hills. Well, when I look in one direction, just two houses away is somebody who lives in the Elmwood neighborhood. Now, there's actually even a wall with a sign that designates the difference between the two neighbors. So what does that say about who is my neighbor? Or maybe I consider the folks that live, the couple that lives directly next door to us. They have no kids. We actually don't have that many things in common, except uh, he and I will come out and we'll talk about what the next construction projects are going on around our home as we seek to build relationship. What does that say about who my neighbor is? Or maybe about the family that goes to a different church, comes from a different race, a different nationality. But from what we can see in Luke 10, there's nothing in common between these two individuals other than they are men and they're on the same road. So who is my neighbor is not defined by proximity or similarity. In fact, we can come to the conclusion from this teaching that there are no non-neighbors. The teaching of this parable says far less about who is my neighbor than it does about am I being a neighbor. And so I have a choice about how I will use the gift of mercy. How will I choose to be a neighbor? We can also see in this passage and through additional scriptures that the gift of mercy is, be, is intended to meet a variety of needs. As I said earlier, we don't want to limit our understanding of mercy to only the actions of the Samaritan, but rather we want to understand how mercy is ex- exercised as an act of love across all that God's Word teaches. Well, this parable helps us to see that there are opportunities to exercise mercy outside the church. Sometimes it's to meet a physical need that's presented in the moment as with the man on the side of the road. Now, I will tell you, we have multiple servants here at Faith who are exercising the gift of mercy in meeting physical needs. I'm always excited to share about the work of the care team, volunteers who are listening intently, who are bringing the resources of the church, the community center, the resources of our whole local community to help meet individual needs, needs like clothing or work boots or a food kit or help in building a plan to get a job and work other things. We can only meet those needs by the use of multiple spiritual gifts within the church to include mercy. I'm also thankful for the many servants who serve together down at Lafayette Transitional Housing. 
I mean, for food and relationship, or even as simple as sharing a popsicle and a prayer. Each day extending the gift of mercy with those in need. Then we're also called to share mercy inside the church. You see, I mean, the New Testament gives us multiple additional examples of this. Luke and Paul each give examples of mercy inside the body of Christ. Look what Paul talks about, or Luke says in Acts 9. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. Wouldn't you call that mercy? A mercy which she continually did. This disciple's use of the gift of mercy caused her to stand out to such a great extent that when she fell ill and died, that her fellow believers felt so empowered they needed to seek out and implore Peter to come, that he might use his spiritual gifts, the gift of healing, such that Peter brought Dorcas back to life. Or we see another example in Paul's second letter to Timothy. Paul begins by saying, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Well, Paul is telling Timothy how some in the church are not extending mercy. In fact, they're even turning away. You could go so far as to say that they see Paul's need and they're like the priest and the Levite, choosing to travel down the opposite side of the road. Yet, in 2 Timothy, Paul's not complaining He's simply setting the facts to allow him to praise another who has used the gift of mercy. And Paul prays for mercy to be returned upon this man, where he says, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he has helped me in Ephesus. Onesiphorus is described as having actively chosen to serve inside the church, to love and to extend mercy to others. And I believe I can stand with Paul and praise many in our church as well, as there are so many examples here in our church of folks finding ways to be able to show the gift of mercy. And we do that in a way that says we're going to do so freely and with cheerfulness. This week I saw some of our youth gathering that they would go out and mow lawns. Mercy with a weed whacker. But guess what? They had a smile on their face. Now we do have to acknowledge even when we show mercy, there can be a danger in it too. When we are extending the gift of mercy each day, but we don't see the needs changing. There can be a temptation to grumble. When we see the man on the side of the road, again, and it feels like we have to help, again, and the obligation has come up, again, and so we begrudgingly just do it again. Or do we recognize the mercy that we've received the gift that we have been given, and as such, we choose to exercise our gift of mercy cheerfully. That's how we're called. Now, a second aspect of demonstrating the gift of mercy can also help us to move past what we might see as barriers to our ability to show that mercy because we see that the gift uses what God has 
provided to you. Let's look at the actions of the Samaritan took when he served the man. First, we're going to begin with the why. Why did the Samaritan choose to serve the man? Well, think about it. He's often, this parable is often called the good Samaritan. Why is that? Was he good because he stopped? Did he stop because he was good? Think about it. Jesus never calls the Samaritan good. So why do we call him good? Well, Jesus didn't call him good, but he does explain why he stopped. He stopped because mercy flows from a heart of compassion. When he saw him, he felt compassion. But why? This man was not like him. This man had nothing to give him in return. Why would he show and feel compassion? Well, Jesus is teaching that it's not the relationship, nor was it the circumstance that caused him to show mercy. He felt compassion. So where does that come from? Well, look at how Paul opens the second letter to the Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. You could use the word compassion there. Who provides compassion for us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to show compassion to those who are in any affliction with the compassion with which we ourselves have received compassion from God. The Samaritan's compassionate heart can be explained as a heart that has felt the compassion of God and has been prepared so that we might also and we has been prepared so that we are also able to extend compassion to others. Now, it might be rare, but there's mornings when somebody in our church will wake up in the morning and say, I want to be a part of the cancer ministry. Does that just happen randomly? Or is it because their lives have been impacted by cancer in their family or in themselves? And so they stop on the road to help where those who are being devastated by the impacts of cancer, and they help. They feel compassion. Now, that's only one example there are many others, but I also want to be ensure, ensure that we say it's not a lesson to say that we can only show mercy and compassion if we've been through the same trial. Look, we have nothing that says the Samaritan had previously been robbed and beaten. No, his heart had compassion because it came from the Lord, and so he stopped. And then when he stopped, I also believe that he knew mercy has a cost. Look at what he did. He came upon him. He bandaged, him up for, he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. As he stopped, it wasn't about curiosity. He didn't walk over and go, oh my, what happened? That looks like it hurt. Are you okay? Oh good, I can see that you're still breathing. Gosh, the Romans really should deal with the security on this road so this doesn't happen in the future you look like you'll be okay and up on your way in a little bit, so we'll just move on. But I certainly will be praying for you. Well, that would be one way to respond, wouldn't it? But would it be mercy? Consider what James, two, James says in James chapter 2. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the bottom body, what use is that? It's because mercy has a cost. Mercy also takes time. 
For the Samaritan, his planned journey would have been about a day, walking or riding about 15 miles. But when he stopped, one of the costs was time. Not just there on the roadside, but he changed his journey. His destination was not the inn. Otherwise, he would not have continued on the next day. But by exercising the gift of mercy, it meant changing his own plans. I can think of a few times when I've seen a car on the side of the road and you go by it and maybe I notice it at the last minute, but I think, oh gosh, should I have stopped? Do they really need me to stop? But what's it going to take? If I stop, am I going to be late? Where am I going to be? How will I do that? Mercy has a cost. Mercy takes time. But these things are true. And in my selfish, sinful nature, those can be barriers. But there is hope in today's passage because God is also showing us that kindness uses resources that you have. God doesn't ask you to give what he has not provided. When the Samaritan stopped, he didn't have to run out to the medical store to buy bandages. He bandaged and put oil and wine on the man's wounds. These were things that he already had in his bag. In his mercy, the Samaritan used what was readily available to him. And so when we find ourselves in a position to stop and show mercy, ask yourself, what has God already provided that I can share as a gift of mercy? It wasn't mine anyway, was it? It's God's. But wait, my bag's empty. Then ask, has God provided other resources that are readily available? I mean, this causes me to think of a day where it was actually while I was studying for this sermon that we took a call here at the North End. And the call came in asking for something that by all rights I looked at and I said, we just don't have that. I can't promise you that because we don't have it. And after the phone call and hanging up, I just had to I continue to think about it. And God did a work. And he says, I'm going to fill your heart with compassion. What did that mean? It meant a, it meant a trip to Walmart. God provided. It meant a time to drive around and to try and find these individuals, and God provided. They also needed to provide a measure of cheer. God provided. Just in time to provide a simple tent minutes before the skies opened up with a downpour. God's provision will not always look the same, but if God is the giver of the gift of mercy, God will also be the provider of the items needed to show mercy. And this is why we can also say from this parable that we can learn that mercy seeks the person's continuing good. Notice the Samaritan did not just stop and drop off a cup of water and move on. He didn't just bandage the wounds and move on. He helped the man find a resource of care where he could move from the roadside crisis to a place where he could heal and truly recover. The whole of this principle goes into our church's philosophy of mercy ministry when we look at it. Inside the church, it begins with our deacons and extends together to bring all of the resources of the church to help the body of Christ through the body of Christ. Well, outside the church, for those who are not members or those who are just meeting on the side of the road, that's why we've built community centers. That's why we've built the care team, a place where we can help those in need to establish a path to healing and stability. Because sometimes the gift of mercy doesn't just address the need on the roadside because sometimes that bandage that put on can hide a deeper hurt that needs to be addressed and other resources need to be brought together. 
Sometimes the true mercy comes in bringing those who are hurting to others who can do an even greater good. And as Jesus was closing out his teaching, he closed by giving us a third aspect so that when we show the gift of mercy together, we can see that mercy is a gift that reveals your heart. Look at what it says. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? This teaching all began with a question from the lawyer that revealed his heart. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer was seeking to test Jesus, but he was also revealing what he believed. There must be something that I can do that will please God enough so that I can receive eternal life. And when he answered correctly, that it all centers on loving God and loving a neighbor because we love God, the lawyer then, he still wanted to make it easier. Surely God's word doesn't include everyone. I just want to know who is my neighbor. But for us, after hearing this parable, just like the lawyer, the lawyer recognized the answer to his question. The one who showed mercy towards him the one who showed mercy towards him. The question we need is not who is my neighbor. It must be how do I live as a neighbor to others? How do I show and use the gift of mercy? Jesus told us, go and do the same. Because mercy, mercy shows that you're acting as a neighbor. Go and share the gift of mercy with those who God places before you, both inside the church or outside the church, using the best resources that God has provided, including connecting them with others who can help, like the care team. We must also know that mercy reveals a heart for the Lord. All of this teaching points back to the commandment to love the Lord. The gift of mercy is a demonstration of God's work in your life and your choice to love Him. You see, our parable today is often called the Good Samaritan. It would seem that we would be considered good if we would just show mercy in this same way. But that could never be true. Because we cannot extend mercy until we have received mercy. And the greatest demonstration of mercy in all of history came when God gave His only Son to die on the cross and take a death that I deserve. And through his mercy, I can answer the lawyer's question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The answer, believe in the one whose perfect gift of mercy paid the debt that I cannot pay for myself. And then in faith, I can choose to love God because he has shown me mercy. And I can choose to be a neighbor. I can choose to use my gift of mercy because of of the mercy that I've received. And so as we walk away today, I want us to remember, mercy is a gift, one that we have all received. God desires that we would share that gift of mercy, trusting that he will provide all that we need to do so, and that we would recognize that mercy reveals our heart for the Lord, and that in using our gift, we may never know who God will draw to himself through the gift of mercy, but we can trust in his perfect mercy and its perfect outcome.
pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today, Lord, praising you for your perfect mercy. Lord, we thank you that you went to the cross, and in your mercy, you made a way that our debt might be paid. Lord, that as we come to believe and know you, Lord, that you've given us gifts, spiritual gifts, and Lord, you call us to use them. Lord, help us to exercise our gift of spiritual mercy in a way that truly shows that we understand how we are called to be a neighbor. Lord, through all that you have given us, Lord, help us to walk each day. And Lord, help us to remember that that mercy always points us back to you, that we might find our hope in sharing mercy with others. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.